You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I'm your host, Andrew Brand. We try to do something unique here, bring you insights and perspective you don't hear other places, making a unique podcast, making you smarter about sports. We're presented by Jaff Kings, as always, produced by Jack Connell, music producer. That music you hear under me is my son, Sam Brand. Hope you guys had a great week. We are now set for the Super Bowl. We'll talk a lot about these games, why these teams are playing for the Super Bowl. Get into some other things on the coaching carousel and, of course, Taylor and Travis. Uh, Let's talk about a debrief of the games and what happened from my perspective. Again, I'm not the X's and O's guy. I don't pretend to be. I'm not a coach. I'm not a scout, but I do have some insights. First game, Kansas City Chiefs, in a year where there has been unpredictability throughout the NFL, where there has been so much up and down, where it's been so hard to predict a lot of things. The one thing that ends up being predictable are the Kansas City Chiefs, who were more unpredictable than predictable throughout the season. I think the Chiefs were sandbagging us. I say that partly in jest. They were playing what can be termed charitably as not good football for most of the season, culminating in a disastrous loss to the Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas Day. This was not a good team. I watched them lose several games, including the Green Bay Packers, the Buffalo Bills. I mentioned the Raiders. This was not a good team. Uh, They were not a good offense. They were, (laughs) Patrick Mahomes, to his credit, never threw this below average crop of receivers under the bus. He was patient. He took the bullets for them. Rasheed Rice developed. Uh, Marcus Valdez-Scanley is hanging on to the ball, at least for now. It's hard to predict that for the Super Bowl. And this team has held on. So in a year that is completely unpredictable, even with this team, what comes out of the, the AFC is predictability. For the fourth time in five years, we have the Kansas City Chiefs representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. For the sixth time in six years, we have the Kansas City Chiefs representing the AFC in the conference championship game. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary the level of sustained success this team is having. Yeah, we can argue about they should have more Super Bowls, but come on. The Chiefs have become the standard. Win or lose, this is a team that has shown remarkable sustained success and consistency in a time where they moved on from their second best player in the last couple of years in Tyreek Hill. So I just think the Chiefs are a model right now after playing a very poor season. This was not a good team through the year. I know they finished with the third seed, but they lost in the games they won. They struggled. They couldn't score. They still can't score. Scored 17 games, 17 points. In the game to get to the Super Bowl, they scored 17 points. Their defense has a swagger. You just see it. 
Swagger is a hard word to define. It's like pornography by that Supreme Court justice where you know it when you see it. You can't define swagger, but you know it when you see it. Their defense has swagger. Wow. They went into the place in the NFL with the defense with the most swagger, the Baltimore Ravens, and they out-swaggered the Ravens. That defense hits, that defense runs, that defense punches balls out like Sneed on the goal line. That defense punishes. I'm impressed. I have not been impressed, as you can tell by this rant. I have not been impressed by the Kansas City Chiefs all year. But they almost seem to be sandbagging us. This is a really good team. And what about Kelsey? He has not played well this year. He has played really well in the playoffs. Uh, this is an interesting team. I'll get to my Super Bowl pick maybe next week. We'll do that. But I'm impressed. And again, my point is, in a year of so many twists and turns in the NFL, the one constant at the end is that the Kansas City Chiefs are playing in the Super Bowl. Four of the last five years, six years in the conference championship game. Wow. This is a team to reckon with on a long-scale business. I'm in, a long, I'm in a long-term way, in a short-term business. I'm impressed. Okay, the other game. I'm going to talk about this team over two weeks. Two weeks in a row, the two playoff games they had to get to the Super Bowl, this team in San Francisco, playing at home, was outplayed by the opponent. There's no debating this. Over the last two weeks, in the playoffs, at home, the San Francisco 49ers, heavily favored in both, were outplayed by the opponent. But they won. Okay? You can't argue with winning. And I know we're in the shoulda, woulda, coulda game with these teams. But two NFC North teams, the Packers, of course, and the Lions, had firm control of those games. Those games were secured. The Packers should have won that game. They did not. The Lions clearly should have won that game. They did not. How is this happening? Well, some of it is grit and resilience and this been-there-before attitude of the San Francisco 49ers. Some of it is stupid, stupid decision-making by the opponents. In terms of the Green Bay Packers, yeah, I mean, there are so many ways they could have won that game. Just hold on to one of those throws that could have been pick sixes to hold a hold them on one of those third down and longs. I mean, it just happened. And the Packers saw it slip away, of course, the missed field goal, etc. The Lions, where do you start? I mean, the missed completions, the drops by Josh Reynolds, brutal, both of them, both of them. The fumble by Jamison Williams, brutal. In that spot, at that time, on that yard line, brutal. Of course, the unlucky bounce off the helmet of the, of the Lions corner into the arms of Brandon Ayuk to set up an all-important score to get them back in the game. And then, of course, the disastrous play calling by the goal line towards the end of the game, running the ball, having to use a timeout, basically giving away the game because no one ever recovers an onside kick anymore. That was it. The Lions was a lesson in how to lose a game. Listen. The Dan Campbell discussion, listen, I know everyone's going to defend the analytics. I'm a big believer in analytics. But sometimes he didn't go. Sometimes he did go. He went the wrong times. He kicked the wrong. I mean, we can all debate the outcome. But here's the problem I see with Dan Campbell. 
he doesn't go for it or not go for it based on analytics. I don't think he's listening to charts. I don't think he's listening to this chart says that, this box on the screen says that. I think it's all emotion with him. I think it's all gut feel and it's like a let's effing go. That's with him on these fourth downs. And that's great. You know, he's emotional. Of course, you know, this sort of narrative about, you know, sticking his throat on it and Daredevil and Dan Gamble. Sure, that's great. That's a good narrative. But does it work? Not, not on Sunday. Not against an experienced, savvy, talented team like the 49ers. That wasn't going to happen. So listen, I on this podcast last week, I extolled the virtues of Dan Campbell, his players and his coaches, and we'll talk about his offensive coordinator in a minute. They believe in him. They talk in, in heroic ways about him. They go way beyond the usual cliches about a good coach. They talk about him as a leader, him as a man, him and the way he treats other men, him as a, a, a an inspirer. You know, I think about that great quote from Maya Angelou or Oprah, I forget. It was like, it's not what you say. It's how you make people feel. And he can make people feel like they want to run through a brick wall for him, that they owe him, that they want to have him proud of him, like a father, like a brother. Wow. But in the heat of the moment, at the biggest stage, in front of 50 million people on Sunday, what was he doing? Why go for it there? Why not kick? Why kick in the first half and not go for it? You know, again, I'm not debating the outcomes. I'm debating the decision-making because everyone can debate the outcomes. It's situation. It's where you are. It's being conservative when you shouldn't, when you should not be risky. In that stage, I get it. This is not a regular season game. And I, I know everyone can say, well, go for it, put, put them away. But they didn't put them away. It was a comedy of errors by the Detroit Lions to allow the 49ers to win. 49ers are going to the Super Bowl having not played well in the playoffs, having been outplayed by both of their opponents from the NFC North. And everyone talks about, oh my, all through the season, oh my God, if Debo's healthy and McCaffrey and Kittle and Ayuk and, and Purdy, oh my God. Well, they weren't the best offensive skill position group on the field the other day. That was Goff and Williams and Gibbs and Montgomery and Laporta and St. Brown. That was the group. And they were out playing them. But mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. Gibbs holds on to the ball, they win. That pass doesn't hit the face mask of that player, they win. They, the Lions, win. They kick one of those field goals instead of going for it, they win. They win. They win. They're in the Super Bowl. I feel for Lions fans. I really do. I feel for Lions fans. That was a game you never know if you're going to get back. This is why I was so upset about the Packers. Yes, they're young. Yes, they're ascending. Yes, they're a team that everyone's going to talk about come August. Yes, they're going to supposedly win a lot of these games. But who knows? Who knows? Right? Love could get hurt next year. Aaron Jones could get hurt next year. What? What's going to happen with the defense? You know, we just don't know. What's going to happen with the Lions next year? Is Goff going to get hurt? Is Gibbs going to get hurt, right? Is Laporta going to be hurt? We don't know these things. Their defense is not great. 
What if they lose people on defense, even with their, their subpar unit? Okay, so you just never know. So the 49ers are there, and the Chiefs are there, and we'll talk about what I think who's going to win next week. But I feel for Lions fans. I really do. And I feel for Ravens fans. What a wonderful year for the Ravens. Wonderful year. Okay? Wonderful year, but it just didn't happen, and they didn't maintain their poise. I mean, you can talk about a comedy of errors for the Lions. You can count them up for the Ravens, the hits on Mahomes that weren't even benefit of the doubt. You know, again, you don't, these refs are not trying to control the game, but when you hit Mahomes in the face, when you come across his head, come on. And the taunting by Zay Jones, it was a trifecta. Maybe the ref doesn't call it if one of those three things happen. Maybe the ref doesn't call it if two of those things happen. But if all three happen, meaning that you stand over him and, and, and taunt, you throw the ball at him and you push his head down. What do you think's going to happen? 15 yards and then, you know, not securing the ball at the half yard line. Okay. I give Jones more the benefit of the doubt on that than the taunting. Sure, you're diving for the end zone. Everyone wants to score. And maybe the ball's not as secure as it should be when you're diving. But hey, I give him more tolerance on that than I do the taunting. Taunting 15 yards at that spot in that game. Again, the lights got too bright. Lamar, forget about the way he played. He played okay. He made some big plays, as he always does. The poise wasn't there. And I said this last week. I just I like flatliners at quarterback. I don't want the up and down. And I know Mahomes probably belies that, but I like golf. <laughs> Goff is a flatliner. He looks the same. I like Purdy. In terms of mentality and demeanor, I, I just think you need that same demeanor. People are looking at you. And if you're fiery one minute and pissed off and throwing helmets the next, they don't want that. You don't want that in a coach. You don't want that in a leader. You don't want that in a quarterback. You don't. Okay, the 49ers have these guys. I mean, Kittle's a bit of a wild card, but you look at McCaffrey. Flatliner, Purdy, Flatliner, Fred Warner, Flatliner, Leader, Leader. They're going to be that same guy. And the coaches, the good coaches. I talk about all the time. Andy Reid is the ultimate Flatliner. You don't want all that emotion because emotion fades and emotion goes up and down. Emotion's like a fan. You know, and media, fans and media can be all over the place, but players and coaches and leaders can't. You can't do that. Okay, those are my rants about the championship games. Let's a couple other things on the Chiefs and the Lions. On the Chiefs, um, Taylor and Travis. <laughs> I got to talk about it. What a boon. I've talked about this since September. What an amazing boom for the NFL and Swift. These are two of the biggest brands in the world, right? Taylor Swift and the NFL. Two of the biggest brands on the globe. And what are, what are they getting that they, under any scenario, don't need? More attention. More people brought, in, bringing, brought into their massive tent, right? The NFL had everyone, pretty much. They have all the guys. They have some women, but they don't have young women. They got them now, right? 
I was watching a sports book the other day, Travis scores, and I hear someone in the back saying, is that Taylor's boyfriend? What? I mean, this is, of the of the hundreds million and tens of millions have been watching these games, there's a few extra million because of her. There is. It's not a it's not a high percentage. But there's a small percentage that are added on to the many millions because of her. Just because of her. Maybe not because wanting to see her in a box, but because they know the story and it's and she she has brought them to the NFL just like she's been brought to the NFL this year. This season, when we look back on 2023 and 2043, oh, that was the year of Taylor and Travis, where she showed up at all these games, most importantly, showed up at the playoff games and the Super Bowl. And oh, yeah, every media outlet getting in on her itinerary. I mean, that is a thing. Oh, she plays in Japan. Can she get back? Sure, she can get back. Private plane. She can be back a day before the Super Bowl. She can be back for parties on Saturday night before the Super Bowl. She can visit Travis in his hotel the night before the Super Bowl. Or can she? I don't know if they let her in. <coughs> what? <laughs> Why do we, I mean, this obsession with Taylor Swift's itinerary. Yeah, she'll be back. Okay, they're planes. Japan's ahead of us. She's a concert the night before, but it's really two nights before. Okay. This is what we're into now. But I do give the networks credit. Since this started in September, there is much less going to the box. Much less. Right? It's much less. People get it. Right? She's there. Maybe we see her when Jason, I'm sorry, Travis scores a touchdown. That's about it. That's about it. End of game, of course. Yeah, on the field. That's great. It's all over Instagram, TikTok. People love it. Especially women. <laughs> they love it that they're kissing out there. But eh, I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with all the, the gnashing of teeth over her itinerary. But I have a problem with this is this is fun, right? This is fun. And NFL, listen, at the end of the day, win or lose, it's a game. It's fun. It's what we talk about. I talk about sports in a little more serious way than most, but I understand it's fun. And Taylor and Travis is a fun story. It's a feel-good story. It's a smiley story. Travis is a fun guy. He's a smiley guy. He's a funny guy. And his brother is hilarious. One of the biggest, one of the best lines in the history of podcasts. When I listen to that, <laughs> and and Travis says to Jason, you know, I told you, or, or your wife told you, you better be on your best behavior. You're meeting, you're meeting Taylor, and Jason says, well, that's why I was drunk. That's, get the full Jason experience. When I met you, I was blind drunk. <laughs> you know, so that was laugh out loud. Jason Kelsey, big time. Anyway, it's great. It's great. And it adds everything, right? Was there a conspiracy theory to get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl? You'd like to think that, except the Ravens just screwed everything up with all those mistakes. There's no way there could be a conspiracy unless Taylor was in on, in on those mistakes with the, the Ravens. Of course she wasn't. Come on. Okay. On the Lions. I can't leave the Lions. Okay, 
This is news now. As of today, the Washington Commanders rumored to be very interested in Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson to be their new head coach of the Commanders. They're not going to have Ben Johnson because Ben Johnson doesn't want to be head coach of the Commanders. <clears throat> in fact, he doesn't want to be a head coach anywhere. He's staying in Detroit for the second consecutive year to continue to be offensive coordinator there. And now the narrative comes out today, this afternoon, like, oh, my God, Ben Johnson's never going to get a job or an interview again because he made the commanders fly out there and then told him, no, he doesn't want to interview him, even though the commanders are already going out there for the defensive coordinator to interview Aaron Glenn. So stop and stop. Okay, let's just put a stop to all that. Ben Johnson is an innovative and offensive coordinator, innovative, I'm sorry, is an innovative and successful offensive coordinator for a team that has an offense that is on the rise. He has these two Alabama kids, Jamar Gibbs and Jamison Williams, who will only get better. He has Sam Laporta, the tight end, who will only get better. He's Amon Ross St. Brown, who will only get better. He works well with Jared Goff, David Montgomery, the offensive line. It's a, it's a nice offense to coordinate, and he does a great job. And you know what? He will continue to do a great job. The Lions' offense will continue to be very good. I don't know about their defense, but their offense will continue to rise, and he will continue to get that, that shot of him on the sideline calling the plays in front of 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 million people. This idea that teams are not going to interview Ben Johnson because he stood up the commanders who were coming out anyway to interview the defensive coordinator, please, please, that is not going to happen. Hell, Josh McDaniels, who's a surly character, he got interviews after taking a job with the Indianapolis Colts and reneging on that job after he took it for a week. And you're telling me that Ben Johnson won't get an interview again? I mean, yeah, you can say Josh McDaniel was a disaster with the Raiders. That's after the fact, right? That's after the fact. After he reneged and still got interviews and still got a job with the Raiders. And people are saying Ben Johnson won't get, of course he will when he wants for a ton of money and security. <clears throat> Maybe he would have gotten a ton of money and security with the commanders now who don't have a quarterback, who have limited talent. I mean, I don't, it's of course, if I'm Ben Johnson, I get it. The problem with Ben Johnson was this seemed to be rumored in all these things. Why didn't it, maybe it's all his agent, but why didn't someone put a stop to all the rumors saying, saying this? We don't know if he'll leave Detroit. Maybe he won't. But if he does, if he is thinking about it, he'll have a lot of offers. And maybe he just decided today. Maybe he just decided today. I couldn't, I can't do this. I'm going to stay and I'm sure he gets a lot of a pay bump. And everything I just said about Dan Campbell seems like a great guy to work for who cares about you as a person more than a coach. And I get it for Ben Johnson. But I just have to dispel these myths, these idiotic narratives that Ben Johnson is not going to get further interviews. Come on. He's an exciting, innovative, successful offensive coach on the way up with an offense right now that is going to be extremely hard to stop in the future with 
young talent at every position up there. I get it. He's going to stay, get a lot of money, work for Dan Campbell, and move when he wants and ascend when he wants for whatever he wants. No one's going to stay away from Ben Johnson for this. Come on. Okay. Got to talk about the Super Bowl. Not the Super Bowl itself, the location. This is not a big story, and that really tells me something. It's not a big story because people accept it now. In case you don't know, the Super Bowl next week between the Chiefs and the 49ers is being played in Las Vegas, right? It was a few short years ago that the NFL was in the seventh, count them, seventh year, seventh year of fighting sports betting coming to America in courts, all the way up to the Supreme Court, <clears throat> where the NFL and all these other leagues lost to New Jersey, which was allowed to implement sports betting. And now there are 37 states that do it. The NFL had fought sports betting forever. They had suspended Alex Karras and Paul Horning for being involved with the casino. They would not let Tony Romo and other players attend a fantasy football convention a few years ago in Vegas because it was at a casino, right? The NFL doesn't want gambling. It was, in Roger Goodell's own words, antithetical to the integrity of the game. They fought it because of integrity. What happened? Well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened was it's legalized and they're embracing it. And Caesars is the official casino of the NFL. And the NFL deals with FanDuel and DraftKings and Sport Radar. And the NFL is everywhere. Every programming of the NFL, ESPN, shoulder programming, games, is all about the spread and the odds. You can't watch an NFL broadcast, a show, a game, a pregame, a postgame, without being bombarded by sports betting stuff. They're all in. They've embraced it. The players can't. Jamison Williams, I just mentioned, suspended. Calvin Ridley, out a year. Other players suspended for being involved in gambling. But the league can, the business can. So the NFL gave up all its moral high ground a few years ago when it allowed the Raiders to move to Las Vegas. When those meetings were going on, I was with the ESPN. I would ask these owners, what about Vegas? And they would say, well, we're concerned. It's a smaller market, tourist market, but we'll see. I'm like, what about gambling? Oh, that's problem. No problem. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, it's regulated, but in uh, you know Vegas is the most highly regulated place in the world, and no problem. Okay, then they lost their more high ground, and now we have a Super Bowl, the pinnacle event, the biggest event in the, in the calendar for the NFL, the one they're most proud of, the one that 120 million people will watch in Vegas, the mecca of gambling in this country. It's not getting a lot of attention, but don't you see the irony in that? They're having the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. They wouldn't even allow a fantasy football convention where players could go to in Vegas. Now, the NFL knows players are going to Vegas. They're saying, yeah, you can bet. You can go to casinos and bet, but not on the NFL game. Bet on everything else. So... Is it hypocrisy? Of course it is. I mean, again, they realize the monetization angles you get from gambling. And all of a sudden, gambling's cool. Gambling's fine. The NFL is embracing gambling. Embracing it. Embracing it. 
And there's no better example than having the game in Vegas. It's just like, we're in Vegas, right? The Super Bowl is in Vegas. The game's in Vegas. The referees are in Vegas. The players are in Vegas. Every potential problem of integrity for the NFL, and they're throwing it all in there in a big soupy mix. All right. Last thing, speaking of Vegas, a potential minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders just did a big deal. And I guess I have to talk about it. I've heard him talk about it all over the airwaves today. His name is Tom Brady. Does a new deal with Noble. Noble, I just found out, is a big apparel brand that actually has sneakers, big for weightlifters, big for CrossFitters. And the TB12 is going to be aligned with Noble and yet to be determined how that's going to be working. But TB12 is not going to be a solo anymore. It's going to be with Noble. And I think you're going to see the TB12 and Noble brand in apparel. And it sounds like wellness products. Okay. Wellness. All right. We'll see. It's interesting. Brady, you know, Brady doesn't say a lot beyond the sort of platitudes when he talks, but every time he gets into a business, we'll see. Hopefully it works out better than his alignment with F. Uh, what was it called? FTX. I even lose the name. And Sam Bankman Freed, where I believe he's still a defendant uh, as someone who allegedly touted a security in FTX crypto. All right, guys, that's my quick take on what the world is on the sports business front, especially the NFL, as we head into its biggest week, Super Bowl week. I hope this podcast gives you things you haven't heard elsewhere, gives you some unique insights. Feel free to give me feedback, andrew at andrew-brandt.com. Also, the newsletter is growing, andrew-brandt.com. You sign up, sportsbusinessleague.com is where you can interact with me daily with videos and meetings. And of course, Sports Illustrated, still going, still going. I got the column out today and this podcast, which I hope is unique. I hope you give us a rating and some comments. We always appreciate that. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks to Jack Connell. Thanks to my musical producer, Sam Brandt. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back Super Bowl week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.